the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back. And uh, in a few moments, Katie Brown. Katie Brown from the American Life League will visit with us about the recent report that the American Life League, ALL.org, put out on their website, as well as published uh, about the CEO compensation of Planned Parenthood. That's a place to make a lot of money, it looks like. Uh, and killing babies, making money, they go together at Planned Parenthood. All these uh, 55 or 53 regional Planned Parenthoods, each of them is making, uh, well, a bunch of them are making over half a million dollars to be the CEO there. Uh, others are making 300000 but it's pretty lucrative. So we'll talk with Katie Brown in a few moments and a lot more. Hey, first, what you need to know, listen, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the Daily Wink. That's a daily email, Monday through Friday, five days a week, 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific, and you'll get that in your inbox. You'll have things figured out because it'll give you three or four key points and stories, links, as well as what you need to know in my estimation, what you need to know when I look at things on that early in the morning, what should you pay attention to? So there you have it. And also, of course, this segment here is called The Wink Also, What You Need to Know, because we cover some ground that people may see. You may see the ground I'm about to cover, but you may not understand it like I understand it, and I hope that's helpful. That's the plan. So today's wink, it's Alito, Justice Alito. Sam Alito is getting beat up a little bit like what happened to um, uh, Clarence Thomas. They're attacking who he spends his vacation with. Now, let us pause. And what you need to know is the reality of the power in Washington. So much power, so much power, so much money, so much influence. That reality makes it so that People who should be important, a Supreme Court justice is important, thought leader, somebody who's smart, uh, a senator, somebody who's uh, been elected and has some uh, some record, et cetera, some usually some uh, political uh, intelligence, uh, House of Representatives, all those go down through the line. Washington is full. The Capitol is full. The swamp is chocked to the limit. The, the water's way high and it. The swamp is high. And it, follow the money is your best one of your best filters. And so people that have influence are going to be influential in a big way. And so for the last 50 years, in my estimation, the Supreme Court has gone far afield from what its role should be. It's gone into the lawmaking, the law creating role, and the left has loved it. And you wouldn't have attacked Ruth Bader Ginsburg about her husband's dealings or her dealings. You wouldn't have critiqued, you know, Justice Kennedy. You wouldn't have heard critiques because they didn't want to embarrass them. They didn't want to make them feel bad. They didn't want to put pressure on them. Because why? Because the court was reliably liberal, especially on hot button issues, on abortion, on gay marriage, on some of the other issues. Well, as the court has swung more conservative, in my mind, it's going back to its role, its original role, and getting us back to the Constitution. I actually don't think that the conservatives, I don't think they're making up new law. I think they're getting back to where we should be. Now, there's a difference. The left wants you to think now the Supreme Court is still an activist court like the liberals had it 
and now it's doing something wrong. And so they attack, attack, attack. So while they didn't object to Justice Kennedy, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, now they object to Alito and to uh, Clarence Thomas. You notice they don't object to uh, Sotomayor. They don't object to Kagan. Are you telling me that these other justices who make about three or $400,000 a year and supplement their income and supplement their life by being feted and being honored and being courted and being uh, able to travel and visit with people that uh, somehow the liberals don't do that? It's not it's it's not it's indefensible, right? It's not real. Now, what you need to know, though, is the real problem here is that the left hates Alito especially, but hates the conservatives. And so they are trying to make their life miserable. These are not young men, young women. I guess Kagan and Sotomayor are a little bit younger. Kavanaugh's younger with them, Gorsuch a little bit. But, you know, Alito and Thomas are in their 70s. They've been around a long time. They have lives and all. And the pressure is to embarrass them and to shame them and to make them want to be done with it. Now, I respect very much that Justice Sam Alito jumped into the Wall Street Journal and wrote an op-ed defending himself from the slur that was coming. And if you watch the objections from the left, they say, oh, he shouldn't have brought that up. He, they either objected he shouldn't have talked about it. It's unbecoming that he talk about it. Or one of the media commentators over at Politico, Jack Schaefer, says, oh, he made it worse by talking about it. No, it's not how it works. Right now, how it works is if you know you're going to be slurred, you can't fall for the old-fashioned model which says, oh, just wait for it. It won't last that long. You can go on you know, with your day. No, you got to go aggressively and push back. Otherwise, the other side owns the frame completely. At least now, the other side has to tell a story of Justice Alito responding before it came out. And they blame him and sound terrible, but at least he's getting a story out. He's getting his argument out. He's trying to change the frame. Uh, by the way, a great example of this, I remember when I was I ran for Congress in 2010 and I had a, uh, a situation where we had found that um, uh, my opponent had an ethics uh, a violation uh, campaign using campaign finance for something. I forget now what it was, but it was pretty clear it was family use or personal use. And so we had a complaint drafted and we're getting ready. And and the the one of the political guys that knew more than I did was more experienced. He said, you should file that right away because he'll file one right away, too. And I said, what do you mean? He said, one of the things that you do in these political campaigns is you file an ethics complaint right away at the same time in the same news cycle so that they tell the story that, hey, even the even the lazy press has to tell the story that, you know, there are ethics complaints about against both candidates. And my point here, that's kind of what Justice Alito did. Justice Alito said, I'm not going to let you claim you have the framing because I know you're not going to back off. I know if I call you and tell you the truth about it to the reporter, I think it's from uh, uh, ProPublica, one of these left wing funded, supposedly nonpartisan journalist enhancing think tanks. All they are is left wing hack jobs that are going after people. And so my, Alito said, I'm not going to wait. Because I'm not going to let you own the whole frame. I'm going to shame you into covering my part of it, even if you mostly ignore it. And he did that. Good for him. Now, let me finish by saying, no matter what, the, um, the, the real role here, the real role of this never-ending set of hit jobs, this never-ending uh, burden on you know, uh, Jeff Clark and, and Professor Eastman for practicing law and then getting dragged before the, the uh, D.C. and California bars, respectively. The, the goal of these efforts it needs to be understood. It's not actually 
uh, primarily, or I should say, it may primarily be to damage these individuals. And it may be primarily to make people feel less good about the individuals and, in, in the case of Alito, about the institution. That may all be true. But one of the other realities of this is that this is a deterrence for two good people, a deterrence of good people getting into the fray. Because if you're normal and you see what happens to Jeff Clark and Professor Eastman, if you're normal and you see what happens to Clarence Thomas and, and, uh, and Justice Alito and, and you're normal and you have some, you're like, whoa, that's no fun. If you're normal and you see what they did to Matt Gates for a couple of years, leaking and smearing him that he was involved in some kind of trafficking claim and then it all went away, it was not real, or the Russia hoax or what a pick one. But if you're normal, you start to have a normal response, which is to say to yourself, I don't want to get involved in that. I don't want to be put in that position. And over time, the effect of this kind, these series of attacks, unrelenting, never stopping, is that good people step back. Good people step back. Sometimes good people just quit. They just walk away. They don't want to be bothered and they don't want to deal with it. But you also look up and you say, hey, wait a second. If I'm on the Trump side of things, I'm going to be punished. If I'm on the conservative side, I'm going to be punished. And you go and go, go. If you have children, you know this. But if you don't have children, if you have grandchildren or you're younger and you don't have any children, go ask someone who has children in the, in the age of, of, of sort of growing up right now, which is where I am. Kids are totally impressionable to what's happening around them. And people that they like, that they admire, that they see hurt, damaged, attacked, they're like, oh. And the impact is partly to say, well, maybe I don't want to be that, but also maybe I, I don't want to you know, be, be near that. I don't, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be. But think about if you could go right now to any party and say, even now. I'm a Trump supporter. People say, oh, you deny the election. You know, you're a Russian. All that stuff. That's all intentional. And what we are seeing now, because of the low cost of the narrative machine, big tech and big media and big government, it's lower cost for them to promulgate, perpetuate, uh, and spread attacks like they're doing. And what you need to know is it's a deterrent for future generations to do the right things. And the left knows it and the narrative machine knows it and they are reveling in it, reveling in it. And we, the people better find the ways to push back and we better demand that our government not be assisting it, but it's a big challenge. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. We got Katie Brown and a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with Katie Brown. Katie Brown is over at American American Life League. Uh, she's the director of communications there. She plays a lot of different roles and active in social media and uh, also in prayer, uh, the Marian Blue Wave, which is a growing effort I've learned a lot about. So welcome back, Katie. How are you? I'm good, Ed. Thanks again for having me back. Always good to have you back. The thing I've been most interested in, especially as a communicator like you are, um, and a, uh, I, I even say like, a, a, I think it counts, I can say it, a young woman professional, um, this Planned Parenthood report that American Life League and Stop put out, and you and I both have looked at it closely together, and, and it's extraordinary. Um, but how how do you think what young people think of Planned Parenthood and what the reality is, 
how those two, how disconnected they are. In other words, if you look at this report, you say, wow, look at how much money the CEOs make. Look at how much money tax dollars come in. Look at how many abortions are done. Look at how many of the abortions are are African-American babies. And then you say, mm-hmm. yeah, but on campuses and other places, Planned Parenthood looks like they're just worried about protecting young women. How big is that disconnect, Katie? Oh, that disconnect, I think, is is what pushes Planned Parenthood. And I think that that's how they're able to, unfortunately, resonate with so many young people. You know, they're really great about um, putting on a, a forefront on social media and being all over college campuses. And, of course, you know, they have programs where they integrate themselves into schools as young as elementary school students. So they're really good at, you know, kind of putting on this front that, you know, we do mammograms and and we we want to do STD testing and, you know, we're here to help you. And if you happen to get pregnant, you know, we'll help you with that too. So they're really good at kind of putting on this facade of it's all about charity. And of course, you know, they, they say they're a nonprofit and, but then, you know, American Life League comes out with this report and the reality, you know, is able to kind of pull that mask back and expose that no Planned Parenthood does not care about you. They care about their numbers and their income. And, you know, of course, they they're reporting one point two billion in assets in the last couple of years combined. And and what this report shows is that they're comfortably within the one percent with their highest paid CEO uh, making just about six hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. So, you know, this this charitable, you know, social media kind of front that they like to push is not accurate. And thankfully, this report really shows that. Well, and that, that, well, well said. Uh, K- Katie Brown is our guest, Director of Communications, American Life League. Go ALL.org and you can see and click through to the report. The CEO report. Also interesting. I, I, I this was, um, I think maybe the late Jim Sedlak had started even these quotes that you see in the report. So I give him a hat, hat tip in heaven um, that uh, Planned Parenthood actually admits that they're racist. They, I mean, we've, we've mm-hmm. many, many of us that are pro-life have made the argument, Hey, when you look at what they do and how Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood spoke and wrote about African-Americans, black people at the time and other groups, she clearly had a lot of issues. That woman, I mean, she was a bigot of, of many stripes, but, and today lots and lots of the babies that are, are, are dying are babies of African-American community. And so et cetera, et cetera. But actually Planned Parenthood admits in their work, in their, you know, the, the woke politics are coming home to roost maybe because they admitted about themselves and that's in the report. Oh, absolutely. And this is one of those things, you know, back in 2020 when everybody kind of had this like this racial reckoning, you know, Planned Parenthood was one of those groups that came out and, you know, raised their hand and said, yeah, you know, we know pro-lifers has been saying that we're racist for the past 50 years. And (laughs) guess what? They were right. Right. And so we were kind of looking around here at American Life League, like, you know, we, we've done all of this educational information on Margaret Sanger and nobody really seemed to care. And then all of a sudden Planned Parenthood comes out and says, yeah, yeah, you guys are right. We are really racist and we're going to try to do something to fix it. But, you know, one of the great things about this report is we went in and kind of compared their their demographics and, and looked at some of the lawsuits they've been involved in in the last couple of years. And, you know, while they said that they were committed to, you know, quote unquote, diversity and equity and inclusion and all these things that they they like to you know pump up you know they actually didn't make any changes and you know with with, with some of the things that we found their highest paid ceo is a white woman and their lowest paid ceo is a black woman wow. so you know just so many disconnects with reality and what planned parenthood tries to push out there so yeah it was definitely a shock though when they kind of raised their hand and said yeah you guys are right we we are really racist 
Well, and, and the, the bigger point there, we're, again, Katie Brown is our guest director of communications at the American Life League, ALL.org, um, is they say it and then they don't do anything about it. And you, the, the proof is in the, the pudding. By the way, pause for a second. We're talking about the, the uh, American Life League's report. Stop is the name of the project um, and the report on Planned Parenthood and the CEOs. Two two facts that people need to remember and, and stay say again and again. One is. The amount of tax dollars received every year is almost seven hundred million dollars from the from the government. Your tax dollars goes to Planned Parenthood. This is the, the, what they do is abortion. That's their business. Uh, they they receive, by the way, lots more. I, I think it was almost three hundred million dollars from uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, former wife, who's also a wealthy woman now too, and and lots of others ways they raise money. So it's billions of dollars in this industry, but seven hundred million almost of your tax dollars. One. The second fact is you look at how much these CEOs make, and these CEOs are making five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand dollars, and big money to run what I think they're trying to, you know, they try to say it's a little medical clinic helping people. You know what? I know about a, a million pregnancy resource centers where the head of it that's running a complicated system, lots of stuff is probably making 80 grand, 70 grand, something like that. So, you know, people are making a great living out of being the head of one of these regional, you know, the Los Angeles Planned Parenthood or the Chicago Planned Parenthood. I'm misstating the names, but you get the point. It's extraordinary to realize um, it's not a mom and pop operation. It's I hate to say it to, to I hate to do this to the company I'm about to say, but it's it's like McDonald's. Uh, maybe it's not. It's like Tiffany's uh, uh, where there's lots of stores and they're making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that we point out in this report, too, is kind of the, the disconnect between the people who run Planned Parenthood and their clientele. Right. They admit themselves that 70 percent of their clientele have a household income under $40,000 a year, which is well below the poverty margin. <laughs> right. So, you know, not only are they comfortably sitting in the one percent, they're targeting and actively going after people who you know can't even afford to put food on the table. So it's just there's such a disconnect and it's it's laid out right in front of you how clearly they target minorities and the poor communities. Uh, Katie Brown's our guest director of communications, American Life League. Um, Katie, last line of question, line of thought is it seems so obvious to me. When I read that report, I was like stunned and I was like, holy cow, this has mm-hmm. to be uh, everybody has to see it. How how do you find that people are seeing it and getting it? Are they are they understanding it better? I know the mainstream media doesn't want to cover it. I saw some of your report on Fox News and other places, but are, are people is the message getting through? Are people maybe understanding it better because you're talking about hey, they said they're themselves. They said they're racist. They here's how much money they're making. I don't know. I I worry that from a communication standpoint, getting more people to understand what's happening, it's just a challenge. I think so. And one of the things that I've kind of had to explain to people with this report in general is I don't know if people really understand how Planned Parenthood works. Right. You know, Planned Parenthood has their major branch, Planned Parenthood Federation of America, but then they have 53 affiliates, which kind of work as franchises. And these franchises are the ones that run, you know, the 600 some Planned Parenthood facilities across the country. So when we talk about Planned Parenthood CEO salaries, we're talking about those 53 affiliates who all have their own board of directors. They all have a CEO, you know, they all have a CFO, all of these things that are set up basically like a, like a regular company. And it's those branches of Planned Parenthood 
uh, that were those are the CEO salaries that we're talking about. So I think that's one of the biggest issues is getting people to understand that, you know, the big branch of Planned Parenthood that you see all over the news and kind of campaigning, that's not the Planned Parenthood we're talking about because they don't have any kind of clinics. They don't do the abortions. It's these 53 affiliates across the country that are mailing out abortion pills and, you know, bringing women into their clinics to, to do abortions at, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 50, or excuse me, not 50, you know, 30 weeks in some cases. So it's, it's these 53 affiliates across the country that we're talking about. And they are really the ones that are actively pushing and targeting these minority women who, you know, fall like that in that poverty margin that we mentioned, um, you know, targeting them with abortions. Well, Katie Brown, I, I, as I um, say to you often, I encourage you, especially in your work, Director of Communications, Katie Brown over at American Life League, um, such an important set of issues and being creative and thoughtful about how they're communicated and how you put it together is so important. So thanks for doing it. Thank you for the time. And we'll talk again very soon. Thanks again for having me, Ed. All right. Katie Brown over American Life League, ALL.org. A lot of there there, by the way. You can go there and see this report, the CEO report, but also a lot of other resources to check out, uh, including uh, on the culture and on the culture of life. Uh, uh, and you want to get on the email list over there. Um, all right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here at the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Haidt stepping into the booth here to fill in for Mr. Ed Martin uh, the rest of the show. He actually has to step out here and head to another event. Uh, but I wanted to come in, and I've got a couple of things that we want to talk about. First of all, that was a great interview just now with Katie Brown. Um, what American Life League is doing and and uh, Katie Brown and her family legacy coming into this, it's just it, it's awesome. I absolutely love to see it. And, and I tell you what, having her come and talk about – um, young leadership inside the conservative movement, specifically inside uh, the pro-life movement, is so encouraging to me. And it really dovetails. Um, it dovetails into what I'd like to to recap here. I know that you heard Ed talk about it earlier this week. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, our day job, has just hosted their 30th annual Collegians Leadership Summit. Uh, that's right. 30th annual. For 30 years, Phyllis Schlafly gathered, uh, well, for 30 years now, uh, collegians have gathered and, and students from across the country in D.C. The last couple of years, we've done it virtual since COVID, obviously, uh, but we're getting back to it in person, have gathered uh, in Washington, D.C., in our nation's capital to study uh, together, to hear from incredible um, members of Congress and, and uh, leaders in public office, uh, from folks uh, across government at every level, uh, authors, experts, uh, activists, people who lead in their fields. And it is always an incredible experience, a really incredible experience for those of us who are able to go. Well, I tell you what, <coughs> pardon me, uh, it is open now uh, that we're broadcasting online and you have an incredible opportunity to go and watch it. So I wanted to recap this for you just a little bit because I think there's an incredibly important uh, theme. It fits perfectly along the lines of everything we talk about here on the Pro-America Report. And I think it's something that uh, needs to be specifically brought up here. So I know Ed mentioned it earlier this week, I think on Monday or Tuesday before our event, uh, he actually uh, kind of gave a little bit of a preview. But our theme this year was the power of patriotism, the power of patriotism. And, you know, as as we were considering that, uh, it just it came down to a out of all the things in 2023, 2024, we could talk about looking forward to this next election cycle. Uh, we realized, hey, you know what? People need to be OK with loving America. 
be okay with being patriotic, with uh, appreciating and speaking publicly about our affection for our homeland, for our nation. That's an okay thing. And I feel like so often uh, that is vilified and it's just it it is poo-pooed so badly by everyone on the left, by the media, by uh, academics, by everyone. It's just, no, 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 no. It's you nationalists. We don't talk about that. Well, that's just ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. This this uh, turning of nationalism or nationalist into some sort of derogatory term, we need to fight back against that. And, and let me make clear why. And this is what we talked about. We went through so many great people on Tuesday night that actually addressed this over and over again as we asked them about patriotism and had them uh, talk about it from congressmen to activists to uh, staff to authors, uh, leaders, and, and, and asked them what about patriotism, what that mean we don't love america just because oh america yay fireworks you know barbecues america better than europe fill in all of the cliche things that you could say and all of the t-shirts that get made it's all well and good that's fine but we love our nation because of what it stands for because of the values that were instilled into it from the beginning because of the framework that our founding fathers gave us for self-governance moving forward, the individual rights that were recognized as rock-solid, inalienable, given to us by a creator, uh, and how every layer of government we build from your local town all the way up to Washington, D.C., to the federal level, should and ought to be built upon an understanding of that self-governance of those inalienable rights and the liberty that it gives us. That's what we celebrate. That's why I love America, why you should love America. That's why we're pro-America, because not just America, but because what it stands for, because of what that means. That's why we have been labeled all, all these years the shining city on a hill was that john winthrop i think who who first gave us that uh, that phrase reagan echoed it so much so many throughout history have it's not just because america's awesome it is why america is so successful and then this this kind of rings back into um alexis de tocqueville uh, that that uh, quote, which has been paraphrased a hundred times, and I'll paraphrase it now from his book, Democracy in America. He finds out America is great because America is good. What was the phrase he used? The, the pulpits were aflame with righteousness. America is great because America is good. Uh, that is our takeaway. I believe that we need to just reignite the fire of patriotism in ourselves and our friends and family and neighbors, especially as we move forward into what is sure to be one of the most divisive election seasons we've ever seen. Uh, and I know it's all, it's cliche and, and I, Ed has talked about this too. It, it, it feels cliche to talk about how this next election is the most important of our life. Really though, at this turning point in history, in our nation's history, every election, the next every election or every Every next election, however you would say, every next election really is the most important because we are facing critical, critical points and decision making in uh, our nation's history. We have such an incredible uh, division uh, in America, not just people who hate each other, but two different directions to go. This this radical leftism that is shoving us towards statism or authoritarianism and the movement of freedom and liberty, which is what our nation was built upon and has existed in for 250 years and give the last few decades. It's been getting worse. But 
these are two diametrically opposed worldviews. And it really is every next election is the most important one. It's almost not cliche. So in going through this program on uh, Tuesday night, uh, talking to our uh, collegians, to our students from around the nation, having questions come in and just hitting different uh, things, whether we were talking about radical environmentalism and climate uh, climate crazies, or we were talking about uh, things happening in Congress, our economy, standing up on your campus, uh, the values behind, uh, the faith values behind these principles that we fight for here in America. Um, it was just it was an incredible wealth of knowledge that was put on display by some of these folks who came and gave us some time and sat with us to talk. And, and I'm just I am incredibly grateful for it, for it. I know that everyone here at the Phyllis Schlafly organizations is, but it is out there now for everyone to take advantage of. That's what I want to tell you and, and just give you the, the you know, the theme, which I have been here in the recap. So uh, go go now and take a look. Go now and take a look. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Uh, go over to Phyllis Schlafly com slash collegians. That's phyllisschlafly.com forward slash collegians. And there you'll see we had uh, congressmen like uh, Matt Gates and Jason Smith, the chairman of Ways and Means in the House. Uh, Pete Sessions, Barry Loudermilk came and spoke to us. Folks uh, outside uh, who used to be in government and, and uh, still practice law, Jeffrey Clark, a former uh, assistant U.S. attorney general. Absolutely awesome guy speaking the truth. People who are focused on elections like Catherine Engelbrecht and True the Vote. People who are focused on the family like Mark Ludwig looking at family courts. That was a favorite topic of Phyllis uh, and, and the destruction of the family by family courts in America. Mike Davis came on and gave us some behind the scenes on uh, the weaponization of federal government. Uh, Todd Benzman joined us and talked about immigration and sovereignty, why that matters. Dominic Tarzinski, our friend from across the ocean, uh, uh, member of European Parliament, he gave us some time as well and spoke about the history of Poland and how, you know, truly the, the love of liberty and the patriotism there is so incredibly intense because it's hard to know how much something matters until it's gone. And uh, war-torn Poland for decades and decades uh, from, you know, the World War II all the way forward through uh, the behind, being behind the Iron Curtain just suffered um, an incredible loss of liberty. And now that it's back, this is something they can all express as so, how so important it is to them. It's just phenomenal from front to back. People talking about all of these different aspects and principles that make America great. These are the reasons. These are the fundamentals of why we love America. And as we go into this Independence Day season celebrating this here in the beginning of July. I just want us to keep that in mind. Go and watch some of these guys. We've got it on YouTube. The whole whole thing is there. It's going to be clipped in different segments and topics and individual speakers are going to keep coming out. So keep your eyes uh, there at phyllisschlafly.com slash collegians and there will be good resources. We need to love America again. We need to remember what made America great, the goodness and the virtue behind it. And I think that that is our ticket uh, into into a new wave of patriotism that I hope and pray will carry us through this next election cycle and will revitalize the flame of American liberty as we move forward. So go and check it out. You won't be disappointed, I promise. Uh, And we will be right back. We're going to wrap up the show here in just a few minutes. Stick with us through the break. Uh, Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com. You'll get this standalone, all the other standalones, as well as the podcasts, all the links and resources, and go there now. You can sign up for the daily emails. We'll see you right back here after the break. Uh, We'll be right back here on the Pro America Report. 
Welcome back. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. Going to bring it home, wrap it up here, and uh, close out the show. This is Ryan Height, uh, yet again, filling in, uh, closing out here for Mr. Ed Martin today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us. And I just wanted to leave you in our final few moments here. I wanted to leave you with uh, with one uh, takeaway specifically. We just talked in the last segment here, which, again, by the way, this whole show, go to ProAmericaReport.com. You can find this podcast as well as the individual standalones. Katie Brown from American Life League, we're grateful for her joining us today. That was, man, that was a great interview. Uh, Ed's What You Need to Know, always uh, incredibly important, in my opinion, a good drumbeat of, of things to follow, how the left is deterring us from trying to make conservative choices. And I tell you what, on that note, uh, one of the principles, one of these, if you've, you know, you heard in the last segment, one of these principles, these guiding principles of America, one of the reasons that we love America, the why, uh, we love America because of why, not because of what, not just because it's America, but because of why, why America exists, why we came into being, what people were looking for when they founded this nation. Um, one of the incredibly important principles, I want to define my terms, good old public speaking de- uh, debate rule here, define the terms. I want to define this term and express to you why it's so important. And we actually talked about this just a little bit on the show last week. I think it has been incredibly uh, important and relevant, especially the last few weeks as we continue to have big fights in uh, you know, media, but specifically in social media, watching uh, Twitter, watching Tucker, watching uh, James O'Keefe, the people who are speaking the truth get censored. Let me tell you this. We we talked a little bit about it, but I want to drive it home again here, especially post uh, Collegian's uh, program. D- uh, the the value of dissent. The the, sp- the what do we call this? The spirit of dissent. You're you're processing this with me here. Where I, I don't quite have all of this terminology down yet, but I think this is incredibly important. So I want you to expect to hear about it uh, from me, from Ed, uh, on this show, and on a- anything else that we kind of have moving forward. There is an incredible American spirit in the ability to dissent. And let, let me define that for you. And I'm not just going to flip open uh, Webster's New International Dictionary. I'm not going to go to Cambridge, none of the internet dictionary.coms or anything. We're going to go all the way back. Let me give you a little bit of an original here. The American Dictionary of the English Language from Noah Webster, 1828. Uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. If you don't have it, it's a giant green hardback book. Go and buy it. I think it's the American Heritage Library who publishes those. You need a copy in your home. Every good family does. Go and get that. American uh, American Dictionary, Noah Webster, 1828. But here's what we have. This verb, uh, dissent, to dissent, is to disagree in opinion, to differ, to think in a different or contrary manner. Uh, but here's number two, the number two definition, to differ from an established church in regard to doctrines, rights, or government. Uh, number three, to differ, to be a, of a contrary nature. Uh, a, a, as a noun, the difference of opinion, a declaration of disagreement. Declaration. There we go. There's a familiar word we're about to celebrate. This is an incredible and uniquely American principle in public life, the ability to dissent, the freedom of speech. I mean, let, let's be real. The First Amendment, and then again, this is the reason I'm tying this into collegiance. We talked a lot about free speech, free speech on campus, free speech on the internet, free speech now in the halls of Congress, for crying out loud, trying to say things and get to the bottom of things. Holy cow, that's getting difficult to do. But this ability to dissent, to, con- to be contrary or differ from the established narrative of something, from the established rules that government is setting down. That's the whole point of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is there to protect the people who are questioning uh, the line. Hey, hold on a minute. 
Is this really how we ought to do this? Hey, hold on a minute. I'm not sure that's the right way to go. Someone powerful is telling us this is how it is. I don't know about that. This is the entire American experiment, I would argue, is built upon the spirit of dissent, saying, no, pause. I, I, I don't believe that. Let's talk about it. I want to say something. I want to give an opinion that's different from this big, giant narrative that we're going for. That's why free speech is there. It's to protect the speech that's not very popular. It's not to protect the popular speech that everyone's okay with and it doesn't ruffle any feathers. That doesn't need protection. What needs protection is the people who dissent, who disagree, who differ, who are contrary from the mainstream narrative and get the discussion going. That is an incredibly important thing that all of us are going to need to touch into our tool belt for the next year or two as we buckle up for the next presidential primary uh, and then into the general election dissenting from the mainstream opinion from the narrative i'm not saying that the mainstream opinion and narrative is always wrong and i don't mean by the way i'm not talking about the quote-unquote mainstream media the big big m's you know capital m's mainstream media i'm just talking about the prevailing view in society it's not that that's necessarily always wrong and everything is a conspiracy but when you have to you know when you have something like the hunter biden laptop for crying out loud we're fighting over this still in Congress, but there's just this massive amount of evidence of this this guy whose life is really kind of in a shambles, and he is directly connected to the halls of power of our federal government, the White House itself, the vice president, now the president, and he's out there making money from and connections with all sorts of foreign governments. And holy cow, this is at least a big pump the brakes and let's talk about this, and yet... The prevailing narrative out of a lot of those in power in government, people in power in the media, people in power the last couple of years in social media, has been to censor, to stop, to suppress this information. No. To grab the, the what's the common phrase uh, or the famous phrase that Ruth Bader Ginsburg tried to adopt herself, I dissent. Well, guess what? We do dissent. That is uniquely American. I disagree with that. We need to stop and talk about it. I have a different opinion. This needs to be discussed. Hey, that's important. It's American. It is a founding, a fundamental principle of America, and we need to adopt it. And moving forward, we need to make sure that that discussion happens, and we need to get people on board. That's what you need to know. I think that's a, that's a wrap-up. That's what we need to do is make sure the dissent is heard. So there's my wrap-up uh, on it. Coming back just a little bit more for some collegian talk, uh, as well as a principle I think we're going to need to talk a lot more about. I wanted to define it and reiterate it here, but... We will close it out there. Thank you for joining us today on the Pro-America Report. Thank you for letting me fill in for Ed. Uh, we are so grateful for his leadership on the show. Uh, thank you to Noah Dingley, our fearless technical uh, technical master and producer who keeps us all on track and running. Uh, and we will look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow on the Pro-America Report. Have a good night. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.